Welcome to Across the Margin, the podcast, where we take you beyond the margin, behind the scenes of the online magazine and deeper into the stories. I'm your host, Michael Shields, and uh, we got a great podcast for you today. I'm real excited to share this one with you. Um, we've got a great guest. We've had him on before, George Gadotti. But before we get into that, I'd just like to steer all of you out there towards uh, Across the Margin storefront. Um, this is where we feature our books. We have two there now. It's uh, Interstitial Burn Boy Blues by Trevor James Zapel. It's uh, a cli-fi book, action adventure story. It's great, short little read, but tons of fun. Our latest release, and uh, we have Seneca Rebel there too, which is a young adult fiction book by Ray Adib. Um, those are there. We have prints there um, that we've all we've designed in house. Hats, same thing. We design them. Um, and some shirts we've designed as well. Uh, amongst other things. The shirts are great. We uh, One, we were recently in Portland uh, for Wordstock. Uh, you know, while I'm saying that, thank you to all, all the Portlandiers out there really embraced uh, across the margin. We, we, we had an excellent time out there uh, promoting our brand and sharing some of our stories. But um, one of the shirts that was flying off our uh, shelves, so to speak, was the Read, Write, Resist shirt. Um, we sold out in like an hour. The shirt's awesome. And... Uh, so that is at the, uh, the storefront too. So I just want to uh, mention that. But um, so let's just let's get into what we're here for. Um, I brought back uh, uh, George Gadotti uh, for an interview, and I'm going to do that from time to time. He's just he's an excellent person to talk to on a wide uh, uh, array of topics. And the first time he was on, we talked about. Uh, the Federal Reserve, he, he knows a great deal about this, and we based our uh, discussion on um, G. Edward Griffin's weighty novel, The Creature of Jekyll Island, um, which kind of promotes undisclosed theories about and motives behind the creation of the Federal Reserve system. So we dug deep on that, um, and this time we, we based our discussion on uh, another book. Um, this one's a lot different. It's Sebastian Younger's Tribe. On homecoming and belonging, it's a it's a book that examines um, humans' innate attraction to tribal society uh, and explains, you know, I mentioned this in the cast why why we are stronger when we come together. Uh, it's about community. It's about uh, you know the need and, and desire for community and how you know how that's lost um, sometimes these days. We 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 talk about close knit communities. Uh, the ability for humans to thrive amid hardship, hardships and during tragedies. Um, you know, all the reasons that people have emigrated from civilized society to tribal communities throughout time. Uh, the need for purpose comes up a lot in self-worth, um, just how important that is. We talk about PTSD and 
you know, community sol- the community that soldiers find in war. These are all topics that are in the book. It's it's a great read. The uh, podcast might come off as a bit of an advertisement for the book, and and if so, um, I'm fine with that. I think it's something everyone should read, especially it does talk about the divisiveness um, in the United States right now, and, and, and just how much of a shame uh, that we're focused on di- focusing on differences right now instead of you know the all that we have in common and, and you know this human experience that we have. So we get into uh, you know we go into the book deep. But we also we talk about a whole lot of other stuff. We we jump around a little bit, specifically in the beginning. But um, it's one I think you're really going to enjoy. And uh, so um, join. Uh, here we go. Let's do it as we talk tribe, tragedy, and community with George Gadotti. George Gadotti, uh, welcome back to Beyond the Margin. Um, it's a, it's a pleasure to have you, man. I'm so excited to be back here. So thank you for having me again. Um, it's, it's funny, you know. I, I discuss the podcast with a lot of people, and um, you know, there's certain episodes that people have naturally gravitated towards. And I'm always like, you should, you got to check out Attack the Fed with, with George Gadotti. You, uh, I mean, you're one of my favorite guests. You always come so prepared and, and have so many interesting things to say. Um, but so what we decided, me and George, we were talking about how to proceed because I want to want to have him on uh, Beyond the Margin from time to time, um, is last time we used the source material book, um, and using a book as a piece of, as a source material for the podcast really works well with Across the Margin and all the, all the different pieces we have in that project. Um, so we used uh, a book to discuss last time, and, and G. Edward Griffin's The Creatures from Jekyll Island. And, you know, with that, we got to really discuss... Um, the Federal Reserve and, and, you know, the ills there. And, and, so, and, you know, that was really eye-opening for me. I really appreciated that. Yeah. And so um, so we decided to kind of go back and forth. And, and uh, meaning this time I was going to choose the source material for the podcast. And I, I chose Sebastian Younger's um, Tribe. And it was the subtitles On Homecoming and Belonging. Um, so we're, we're going to dig into that real deep today uh, eventually. But... I started last time uh, we were together um, with a thank you, because uh, I think last time I was thanking you for the sage advice you were giving me from time to time and reminding me to just breathe. And uh, That's right. Um, uh, this time I want to say thank you. You sent me a video a little while ago. Uh, um, it was the real you. Um, uh, it was a lecture by the British philosopher Alan Watts, and I found myself watching it a lot. And uh, it's, 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 you know, it's about waking up and... It's about this connection to the universe. It's real deep. And, and um, you know, I struggle a lot, as most people do, with the idea of, uh, of an afterlife and death. And uh, when you listen to him, he, it's, so, it's so positive in that way. And, you know, he's when you die, you're not going to have to put, put up with everlasting non-existence because that's not an experience. He has all these ideas that, that are very hopeful. So thank you for that. Yeah, no, I, I loved that. Um... One of the things I loved so much about that little piece by Alan Watts is I think it was called Who Am I? Um, And if you Googled Alan Watts, Who Am I? You're going to get the right thing. But um, he came up with the idea of, you know, what I I love to ponder time before life and time after life, Mm -hmm. death. I think that it's all the same thing where we were before and where we end up after. I'd like to believe that at this point in my life, that's kind of where I am right now. Like maybe we return to wherever we may have left. <clears throat> but one of the things he said in that video was, 
Imagine yourself falling asleep and then never waking up. And then he said, if you think about that long enough, imagine what it would be like if you imagine yourself waking up after never having fallen asleep, um, which is what birth is. Mm. Um, And the way that he tied that in and and when you watch the video, I just thought that's where it it struck a chord inside of me. Like, I'm kind of thinking along the lines of, of that, you know. It seems very resurrective, yeah. what he's saying, yeah, very Buddhist, yeah. um, but at the same time, very liberating in the fact that, you know, you're not locked in a box for eternity. Yeah, 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 when, exactly. When you're thinking about that darkness beating. in a whole different way in, in regards to sleep, and, and like I said, it's hopeful, and that's what you described it. Um, yeah. Hey, before we move forward, I'd like to um, kind of touch back to what we were talking about last time sure. on the podcast, because we talked about the Fed. And, um, you know, obviously, it was like I said earlier, it was eye-opening for me. And, you know, I, now I follow the news a lot, and it's something um, that I'm more interested in, and, and I'm trying to trying to stay focused on, on some of those issues. But I noticed that um, uh, Trump just nominated um, for chairman of the Federal Reserve, Jerome Powell, uh, who would be replacing Janet L. Yellen, I believe. Mm-hmm. Do you, are you familiar with him? Uh, a little bit. Yeah. Um, What's important to note going back to the previous podcast is that the Federal Reserve is a private bank. Yes. has nothing to do with the government. However, the president of the United States will appoint the head of the, the Fed. The head of it, exactly. Um, so he picked the r- richest white guy that's ever seated that post. Yeah, he's, he's, um, a, Fed, he's a Fed governor since 2012. Yeah, he's a yeah. richest... So Obama appointed him to as a governor. Okay, as a governor. Um, Got it. And he's always been... Um, Two things that he's done is he's been about ending a loan buyback um, program from the Fed. So if the if the Fed is issuing bonds, it's buy it, it's pushing bonds out and it's taking cash into the Fed to increase the Fed's balance sheet. Mm-hmm. Um, now, when the Fed buys bonds back, they put cash, fiat money, back into mm-hmm. the system, which ultimately. You know, adds to inflation. So you'd almost have to listen to that podcast again. But yeah. without saying that you'd have to listen to it, what he's proposing is removing less of p- paper money from the system, which is, I think, a good thing. But he's okay. also talking about increasing interest rates, which everybody knew was going to do. But he's probably more likely to do that um, when interest rates goes up to groups make more money, bankers and brokers. So banks, Bank of America, Citibank, Brokers, Schwab, Fidelity, mm-hmm. um, those types of people. And that, that's getting really into my space. So, yeah, exactly. Um, well, yeah, well, it, it'll be interesting what he does, but, you know, it's just, it is, again, it's the richest white guy to take yeah, the post. He's going to benefit tell, by his own policy. Exactly, looking, yeah. looking out for, for uh, himself and those like him. Um, from what I could tell, it's not like it's going to rattle the system anymore. It's, I mean, it's, 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 it's more of the same. I mean, I've heard it described so many times as a safe pick. Trump, so this is not any, you know. I think it's all a puppet show. It's all a puppet show. Yeah, at that level, it. because I think Absolutely. there are families behind the Fed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Awesome. Cool. Hey, if you want to learn more about that, check out the first podcast with George. We dig deep. Um, attack the Fed. We attack the Fed. Uh, we were talking recently, me and you, uh, before we jump into Tribe. Um, I know we both enjoyed listening to uh, Duncan Trussell and Chris Ryan's late, latest podcast, yeah. uh, Floating, was it was called. And, there were some cool things that um, we were going back and forth about. I know, you know what, you know what really struck me was um, that song they used to close. It was uh, "Simple Gifts." I've I've heard it sung by um, Alison Krauss. I've heard it uh, 
heard Jewel even sing it. It's kind of like a known song. Elder Joseph uh, Brackett is the one who who uh, wrote it originally in, in the mid-1840s, but it's just, just a little ode to simplicity. And Was it the song that Duncan sang? He actually sang it. Yeah, I, so it, when he sang, I so I, I listened to that podcast twice. Yeah, me too. And both times I teared up during yeah, that. You can't knock because it's your boy <laughs> singing that song and you know that that's not easy for him. And then the podcast closed with a version of with it that version. just is yeah, so beautiful. The, uh, Yo-Yo Ma with Thousand Crowns. Yes. Yeah. Kind of just a return to simplicity. and I love the little bravery he showed and like he doesn't have a good voice and he's just like I'm going to sing it anyway. So it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's you know the tis the gift to be simple tis the gift to be free tis the gift to come down to where we ought to be and it's just continue. it's beautiful man. That really, uh, that really struck me. But also, what struck me in that podcast is, um, they, you know, they discuss about the power of giving, um, you know, giving things away, and uh, what was some of the quotes they used? Everything is lost except what is giving away. It's That's a Buddhist correct, quote. Yeah. Um, I talk a lot about the idea of um, giving selfishly to people. People, you know, sometimes people question the motives motives of those who give or you know contribute to charities and, and also I'm like there's nothing wrong with feeling good about doing something you know for other people in fact it's a reason to do things for other people um, in uh, in tribe as we as we work towards getting into that he talks about when a person does something for another they are rewarded by not only group approval but also an increase in dopamine and other pleasure hormones in the blood. So it actually, it's you know, uh, evolutionarily speaking, it's 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 good to give. It it definitely seems healthy because it does feel good and it makes you feel happy. Yeah. Like if if I'm going to give somebody a gift and I'm like I know what my son's getting. He's getting the Nintendo Switch <laughs> and it's already in the house. What's the Switch? That's the new gaming system for uh, Nintendo. Okay, so you had like the Wii, the level. Wii U, and now this is the awesome. Switch. So I know he's not going to listen to this podcast. <laughs> um, but yeah. I, I, I can't wait until he gets that or a gift that I get anybody. I, I feel good. And even if it's just something little, um, you know, my parents have been going through a lot of, you know, um, rich white people crisis down in Key West because the, they had a, a lot of damage to their house and their friends' homes. So they, they, they have a home down in Key West. Yeah, that's where they the live hurricane. most of the time. Yeah. Got them. Yep. Yeah. So they couldn't get down there. They're just getting communications back. This has been like over a month uh-huh. um, and, and those types of things. But in the um, in the giving of things, my dad said the best thing that he walked away um, was that he, if he left anybody with anything during this crisis, he just wanted to be a smile. Like he wanted to make them yeah. laugh at least wow. one time before he walked away. Definitely. So that's him and my mom's new thing, um, at 76 years old. Um, and that's what, and I think there was a little bit of that before this disaster, but, um, this does what they went through down there. My mom would say is not a disaster at all. Um, what my mom said is a disaster yeah. is having a, a stillborn, you know, and, yeah, she, and then she kind of talked about what a real disaster yeah. was, not, you know, what's happened to your exactly. house. Real, real, you know, harm and loss of human lives yeah. as opposed to property. But even if you're giving just a smile or a little experience, you give me the opportunity to be here on Across the Margin, yeah. something there's a lot of build up to. I come, yeah. I love it. Yeah, great. And I feel great, you know, for a long time after having done it. So, yeah, this awesome. is something you're giving me. You just, uh, you just walked us right into this discussion, too, though, because, I mean... Um, Tribe by Sebastian Younger. Um, he uh, he speaks a lot about tragedies and, and 
just those moments where, where awful things are happening. And um, actually, in, in, in a lot of ways, there's a lot of people, uh, this is like the happiest time in their life. And um, I'd like to get into specifics as we go along. Uh, but I'd like to first say, state that the reason I chose Tribe um, to discuss is I was deeply moved by a recent interview I heard with Sebastian. Um, and it was... Uh, I think it was on Rogan. Yeah. Uh, one where he helped me in my attempts to come to grips with like the divisiveness in America. It's a, uh, it's something I think about a whole, a whole lot. And I just, I just see, you know, the left and the right going at each other. And, and, um, and he, he talks about in this interview, how just, you know, how upsetting that is to him because in so many ways we need each other and we've always needed each other. And we've, this has always kind of been the case where there's these two sides um, that have grown to be this way for specific reasons and they help each other and they check each other and they keep them in line instead of just beating up each other. They, I mean, it's almost to be thanking each other for what they do and, 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 and what they contribute. And, you know, it's given me a, like truly given me a way to look at, you know, there was a point in, in you know, recently after the election where I was like, fuck anyone who would make that happen. You know, I'm, 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 I'm left-leaning. I'm not sure your specific take on that thing. But, uh, you know, I, it just, I wanted to dismiss certain people, and that's not okay. And he helped with that. So I wanted to read Tribe, wanted to read more about his community and everything like that. It's a book about how we are stronger as a people when we come together and how that can be achieved in, in, in today's world now. So um, we'll get into more about the tragedies bringing us together, but I would like to ask you generally... Um, what did you think of the book? Was, how, how was my yeah, choosing? I finished it last night. Um, and I haven't absorbed it yet. But, yeah. <clears throat> but you having said, talking about the polarities mm-hmm. um, that exist today, let's just call them conservative and liberal. Sure. Let's, let's, um, but he was what, what he had mentioned in the book was that both of them are critical survival mechanisms. Yeah. Um, for me to be the conservative and identify a freeloader in a tribe mm-hmm. and want to kill the freeloader, sure. that's a very natural instinct. Yeah. Or as opposed to being a liberal and saying, well, this person wants to dress uh, in some other way. Or even even uh, something more clear, he talked about uh, in times of, of disaster how gender roles oh, um, yeah. start overlapping. Yeah. And then I've I've never thought yeah, a lot so. about all the different sex identifications just because I don't have to and it's not a huge part of my world sure. and I'm you know, but um, I really kind of for the first time I was like oh so that's the difference between sex and gender yeah so we have gender roles so yeah. gender doesn't equal sex so for the first time in my life that actually yeah, clicked because in certain situations that he was identifying it was just all males in a, in, a, in a situation or females in a situation and they both took on what would normally be looked at as the female and male role. There was people who took on each role yep. and it was, yeah, it was about needing both sides of that. So yeah, it's, um, yeah, there's a lot of breaking down of differences and, and I think I, this book pulled me in so fast cause, uh, it starts out with a, a younger Sebastian who, um, he finds himself, uh, he, he's journeying West. I think he's, um, he's, he's yearning for something more to be a part of something. And I, um, to be a part of something and you know his youthful suburban upbringing uh, felt so isolated to him and, and he's looking for something else and 
I know that idea resonated with me deeply, and I, I was wondering, did it for you? Mine was the same. Like I grew up in, you know, a, a suburban, mostly white, other than like the one black family in the neighborhood. Yeah. You know, like it, so I grew up in a super sheltered neighborhood. Um, my mom always made life very magical for me, so his seemed a little bit more dry. Okay, cool. Um, of a childhood, but um, when I got to the point where I had freedom and more freedom to do whatever I wanted. Um, I might have been propelled harder in that direction because I was so sheltered as a youth. So I thought about him a lot. Um, I don't want to say that I was sheltered. I, I was sheltered as a youth. I lived in a little yeah. bubble and I played in the woods behind my house. And, I, I, I was as well. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, I, I feel like our upbringings were very similar in that yeah, way. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so it, 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 I did find myself as, uh, you know, I, I think midway through high school or whatnot, search, searching out communities in different ways, you know, I, I ended up on fish tour. And, oh, I, I meant to say in that where it was a little bit different for me than in that neighborhood, I did live on a cul-de-sac. So if my mom was baking and needed an egg or butter, yeah. I ran across the street to get it. Yeah. Um, so there was a little bit of that. I, I wouldn't, my dad wouldn't let me watch Miss Wilcox shovel <laughs> her driveway. I won and I shoveled yeah. that driveway. Yeah. There was still, um, you know, I, I hear some people <clears throat> describe their neighborhoods and suburban upbringings and there's, there's some where I see, um, you know, a complete isolation uh, situation going on, but I same thing here. There, there was, you know, each time someone in my neighborhood was learned to ride their bike, everybody was out there. There was there was community where I grew yeah. up, but it, it's it's it um you know, but I guess things have even changed since then. There's been a lot of technology pulling us apart. Um, and comfort, comfort's a big thing that he talks about a lot. He's it, it kind of um that there could be. It could be looked at in a way that there's too much comfort, meaning that uh, I, one of the quotes he said is, um, humans don't mind hardships. In fact, they thrive on it. What they mind is not feeling necessary. Modern society has perfected the art of making people not feel necessary. So it's almost as if, you know, despite miraculous advances in medicine, science, and technology, modern society is a... Is afflicted with some some of the highest rates of, of depression, suicide, schizophrenia, poor health, anxiety, and 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 loneliness. And I mean, this is to the to the highest record in human history. So something's going on. I, I think we're becoming over connected electronically, mm -hmm. so that your community, which is not a community at all if it's electronic, because um, those are just ones and zeros and yeah. software. Yeah. Um, driving connections, and I and and I think we use social media for to feel better. I, I make a post because I want to get likes back. I make a comment because I want to see what other people don't, might think about my comment. Yeah, yeah I, I think that there's a ton of that going on. But you know, the more electronic we become, I think the more easy it is to feel depressed. And it's and the, I think it's like everything. It's a curse and a blessing. The the knowledge that's at our fingertips to end a dispute. You know, Google, you know, a question or an answer. But yeah. um, for people that, you know, watch flowers growing, you know, in the backgrounds of pictures on their phones um, versus somebody that puts their phone down and takes a long walk and smells the flowers, yeah. I think that they're going to have two different blood pressure levels. That's a good call. Absolutely. Absolutely. They're, I mean, they're just experiencing the world in a whole different way. What this um, book uh, kind of at the core of it is, um, you know, kind of civilized society versus tribal society. And what it 
it, it, it goes back into uh, uh, kind of roots itself in, in, you know, when we first settled here and um, the American Indians. Um, he explains why he chooses to call yeah. American Indians over Native Americans. And it was uh, because of, you know, so, you know, they, they all his interactions with uh, American Indians um, led him to believe that this is what they wanted. And, and there was a couple of them. Well, if you're birthed on this land, yeah. you are a Native I, American. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so what so would, he wanted to differentiate himself, which is what the yeah, one guy said. So exactly. Yeah, that's and so what was occurring was while these two societies uh, are kind of coming uh, into contact with each other, um, you would see emigration of people from civilized society, you know, the white man, uh, to tribal, uh, the American Indians. They would actually, you would see a lot of people going and joining the, 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 these tribes and you would not see it the other way even when there were situations where um, that they would emigrate whether an, an, an American Indian would live with uh, in society they'd want to go back but when the others when, <laughs> when civilized society would go to the tribes they never wanted to leave they were just so happy and uh, uh, this is I see a lot of people trying to you know that feel of wanting to reconnect with, with, with something more real and, and natural and, and, um, just the concept of off the grid. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I say off the grid. That's exactly what I mean. So <clears throat> you had this, this population and this migration of people from European nations, um, into North America, which had been undisturbed for hundreds or however many years. Um, and you had people that would want to join the native Americans, and nobody moving, or American Indians, nobody moving yeah. um, in the opposite direction. Well, I guess at a much lesser rate, if at all. Yeah. Um, but I, I certainly would see myself if all of the sudden we found out about another country right now where people were living like Native Americans yeah. lived. I would have a long talk with my family and everybody that I love yeah. about a community on that mm-hmm. um, among those people. The, uh, the appeal is real, and, and, you know, when you started reading about this, uh, the, you know, the first question that comes to mind is why? why? Why is that the reason? And, you know, he goes through um, a series of, uh, you know, delves deep into that, I guess, you know, kind of bullet point the thing. There's the intense communal nature of Indian, Indian tribes um, does hold an appeal that the material benefits of modern society just can't compete with. There's no master in charge. It's mostly egalitarianism going on. Do what you want. Um, sexual activity wasn't so repressed. Um, social status comes from hunting and war, meaning like worth. It's actually not just giving. Give, social status isn't given to you. It's, it's your worth as a person. Uh, one of the reasons why that uh, I was drawn to and kind of put a smile on my face was the clothes. Like think about the, the restrictive nature of the clothes that, that, that you know people were wearing at that time. Whereas they're wearing these comfortable clothes that are good for like, that is totally good for this, this, these rigors of the time. and that, Even that, your circulation, your lymphatic system. Yes, yes. There's a lot that sitting down at a chair with a belt that's too tight will do to yeah, decrease exactly. your health. I look you know. at all the corsets and everything the women were wearing. They talked a lot about how much the women uh, loved living in the society because, you know, the, the civilized society at the time and even up to today is, is, is you know expect certain things from women that a tribal community did not and 
they were they were much much happier and free. They were free. Yeah, they were. Yeah. So, yeah, that's you know the the. The, um, and he, even the the women carried more of the moral responsibility. He was saying, yes. whereas the the men were out, you know, hunting and doing those things. Yeah, and yeah. There's more that we can talk about on that later because when those well, we'll we'll, we'll talk more later. When those people return from war, things like that, yes. they just continued the role of being a warrior for the tribe. Absolutely, absolutely. So he touches on. Um, I want to get into worth a little bit more, but like that kind of that we keep we'll keep touching that that self worth that purpose that. That we all seek, and, and, and a lot of people have been losing it. But he touches on the idea. This goes a little bit back to the comfort we were talking about, but that the wealth that many Americans um, hold dear, which is not a bad thing, of course. That that there's there's money around, but you know it's not al- allocated to everyone uh, in 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 the best of ways, I believe. But um, that this wealth could is problematic for community. He says. They go into a bunch of stats. According to the World Health Organization, people in wealthy countries suffer depression at a rate of eight times higher than that of other countries. And and, and he, he goes on to say the mechanism seems simple. Poor people are forced to share their time and resources more than wealthy people and as a result live in closer communities. Do you have any thoughts on that? I mean, I know. Yeah, I'm, <clears throat> the, the wealthier you are, the bigger property you'll have, yeah. the more separation you'll create um, with other people. Um, you know, whereas, you know, a, a community in a, a city, um, and I'm, I'm thinking more of a, a city 20 years ago, but mm-hmm. where, where the, everybody on the block is watching out for everybody on the block. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the guy in the penthouse isn't really on coming to the block party, you know? So, yeah, yeah, of course. Without thinking about it a little bit more, that's what I would think about. Yeah, I mean, I I don't want to go too much into this, but that also, you know, I don't want to talk much about mass shootings right now, but it it is in there, and there's, he does discuss it in that interview I was talking about, and um, it is a fact that rampage killings of these kinds do not, have not occurred in, in, you know, urban ghettos. Um, And, you know, that's kind of a, there, there is like what I was just talking about the poor versus the wealthy they don't want you know they, the idea of uh, they're, they're still poorer people are connected to their community a little bit more arguably than uh, the disconnect that can lead to these some sort of these type of tragedies so. if you're less wealthy you're sharing concerns with let's say 70% of the population yeah. you know, we know we have the 1% at the top mm-hmm. let's just say if you're poor er um, you you have a lot in common with eighty percent of the people. If you're the top five percent, we'll, it would be very difficult for you to communicate with anybody having um, the problems that I, I think happen in the lower you know eighty percent. Yeah. Um, e- even if you What's understood, that? if I was in the lower eighty percent, I'd have a hard time believing you understood what I was talking yeah, about. Yeah, totally. Um, so unless I got to know you and you hit me real fast with the way that you came from where I am. Yeah. At yeah. that moment, I wouldn't buy it. Absolutely. Yeah, that makes tons of sense. Um, he gets into something called the self-determination uh, theory, and I think I'm going to touch back on worth here, but he's, he's, he, keep going with he's talking about how human beings need in, in order to be content, according to this theory, uh, three things. One, they need to feel um, competent at what they do. Two, they need to feel authentic in their lives. And three, they need to be uh, feel connected to others, so they're uh, they, the idea that you know they 
they have to find meaning in their lives is, is, is something that matters so much. Yeah, I mean, to go through a day where you don't learn something, um, to me, is a pretty wasted day. Yeah. Um, if I felt like I wasn't authentic, I would have guilty complex about that. Yeah. Um, and if I wasn't connected to other people, then I would just be dead. Yeah, yeah. You know, absolutely. so my connection to other people so is so big and it's pieces. and it's yeah. not a big part of my life at all right now. Community isn't a big part of my life. I moved out of Los Angeles because I had no community at all sure. and I had just had a baby with my girlfriend yeah. at the time, absolutely. now my wife. Mm-hmm. Um, but there wasn't a person I could hand the baby to unless it was my wife and that's a hard stressful situation to be in. Are there things with your that you think you do to try to find more meaning in, in your everyday or, or find more purpose, um, you know, to, to, cause I, that those, I do believe in those, 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 those three bullet points there where, you know, if, and I, I feel like, you know, not to bring a larger problem into this, but like, I, I've heard this talked about with the opioid and drug epidemics is that people just don't have meaning in their lives and you don't have meaning, you don't value your life. And then, and then you're okay with throwing it away doing drugs and or just living that life. So it's I, I, I think with some of the disconnected, it takes becoming conscious that you do need some meaning and then finding ways to create that meaning. And I was curious if you had any ways that you do that because you seem like a meaningful person who finds... I, I know I feel more meaningful the healthier I am. Okay. Um, and even like I, I, I'll do exercises where I'm super healthy... And then I'll, I'll totally forget about it for nine months. But um, <clears throat> when I get myself to the state where I know I'm perfectly healthy and, yeah. and not, not perfectly healthy, just not hungover, not um, on a pill. Um, and it's okay if you're hungover or on a pill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, it's all okay. but, but, but I do, I am, because I've, I know what it means to refrain and, and be as, as plain of, and as natural of a human as I can, which is not an easy thing to do at all today, um, I'm very aware of the fact that other people might have a lot going on in their brain, whether it's you know a chemical going on with a pill. So um, mindfulness and working on myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I've been only working on myself. And, and this is a huge question because I, I don't think I'm doing a very good job of feeling competent, authentic, or connected at all. Um, but I have been working on mindfulness a lot lately because I, from, from, and we listen to and read a lot of the same stuff. Uh Um, I can't make or change anyone. Um, so I'm not going to work on anybody really, but myself, I can be an example, um, to people, but it's a big deal. Yeah. This is a big deal. Um, Absolutely. So I, I do my best so that my kids never see me looking at my phone. Yeah, yeah. You know, I want oh, them wow. to know that that's you that's know totally okay. like dad doesn't look at his phone. Yeah, um, yeah my daughter gives me a hard time, and I like when she does. Like, yeah, I there, she put it away. I'm like, oh my goodness, absolutely. Yeah, you should be paying attention to me. Yeah. And you're like, you're right. You're I right. should. I, yeah. Um. So mindfulness is the biggest thing I can continue since our last podcast. I was like, I'd stopped going to the gym because I had just moved, yep. which I'm about to do again. Oh, um, but I, I've gotten back. Thank you. I'm a, I'm I'm back at the gym. I'm taking meditation classes for the first time in my life um, and, and like going to real classes and not just downloading a 10-minute mindfulness uh, meditation, which is really good and powerful. But um, a, a mindfulness class is just, like, uh, is just as muscular as a bicep class. Yeah. 
Yeah. Oh, so, no so I need to really cultivate so classes, mindfulness. There there? There's other people in there's, there. There's, yeah. there's a community involved in that as well. And before you brought up this book, which I mean, less than a week ago, we decided yeah, we were going to read this book. Yeah. But after the first meditation class, the, the mediator said, does anybody have anything that they want to say? And I didn't say anything. Um, but I, what I wanted to say was how excited I was that I was in a group of people that came there to meditate on yeah. like a rainy early Sunday. Yeah. Um, but, and that's the same gym I go to to work out where bringing that back to community, I go to the gym every day at six in the morning, like five days a week. And I go and I look over and see the same meatheads that are in the meathead corner and the same cardio people and the people that jump too much rope. Um, and that is my thinking a lot until there was just one random time where I almost hit a kid on his bike on my way to work. And I was thinking, oh my God, if I hit that kid... Yeah. I mean, it just shook me, and Life then never be the same. I and then I was at the gym. I'm running on the treadmill, and I was thinking, man, if I just slipped on this treadmill, this entire gym would run over to me. Yeah. We don't know each other's names. We all know each other. We see each other every morning. There's a morning group of about 80 people. Um, so, you know, uh, I find a lot of my community there. You know, my mom tries to convince me to go to church. You know, wh- whether you believe it or not, she says that the people are there. Yeah. Um, and so. Um, yeah, I mean, I have a lot of. Uh, you know, issues with, with organized religion. And, but one thing I don't is that people are getting together there and there, there's, there's so much value in that. Yeah. So to, to move into a, to, to that community, well, you know, I've got to start digging a little bit deeper about like what obstructions am I putting up? My mom recommends that. I didn't even think about, nope, 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 yeah, not yeah, going to happen. Yeah. You so, know, and maybe that'll change. I don't know. But absolutely. A little, so what I try to do is being more mindful and that helps me be more understanding of people, more accepting. Yeah. And Empathetic. Which yes. I, I, it, it's probably a word I've said most on the podcast. I think it's just, you know, empathy leads to understanding. It's so important. Um, you, you said you're moving. I'm, I'm going to uh, bounce off uh, the book for one second. You said you're moving. Um, remember we were talking about the podcast with Duncan and Chris, they talked about the packing party. Yes. So, uh, have you tried any of that? Are you trying to, now that you're boxing up things, you're trying to get rid of things? And like, cause there is this thing where you probably have some, since you moved into this house right here, there's probably a, a something, whether it's books, it's, you've never read clothes, you've never worn, just a thing that you wanted. So now you're moving again and you're going to carry that thing again to another location. And it's almost, you got to start asking yourself, what, why, what am I doing? Why do I need this? Because, you know, the more objects you have, the more that can hold you down. And it's, you know, at the end of the day, it is just material things. Have, have you thought about this at all? I'm curious with, with, with packing. Because changes allow for change. Yep. Yeah. The first time, so Bridget and I moved, you know, we had a couple apartments in Philadelphia. But from Philly to L.A., back to Philly and out to the burbs where we are now. And, and, and multiple <laughs> apartments in yeah. each place. <laughs> The first time we moved, when we were leaving Philly to move to Los Angeles, we were taking two apartments down to one and we had to pack one of those pods. Mm -hmm. So that's where you begin the purging process. So um, with every move, we purge more and more. My wife is like a design minimalist. Um, So I don't, there isn't, you know, stuff underneath of beds or things that we don't use. But this is really the first house where everything is now out of the box. Mm -hmm. Although as of right now, everything is back in the box. But you do start to wonder pretty quickly um, as we start packing up. And we had this conversation a couple days ago. It's like, all right, well, we have to make sure we have to have a kind of like a bag of stuff for the toys. Let's get some Legos and some key stuff for the kids. And um, 
Chris Ryan, he was even saying, he's like, I packed all this stuff in my van from that podcast he was doing from Portland. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, what do I, I mean, I wear like three of my favorite shirts. And like Duncan was saying, he's like, I love the shirt I'm wearing. That's how I feel about this black yeah, one. You yeah. know, it's like whenever it's clean, it's the shirt I'm, I'll I'm grab. I'm literally wearing my favorite shirt right now that I've had for like 15 years. I don't know how it's hanging on. Yeah, I know. Stuff. And one day it'll get it's a little tear and somebody will tell you to th- throw it out. But yeah. yeah. They're, they're going to be right. And then you move on and you find a new favorite shirt. But the concept they talked about in the book was these two minimalists. I think they're called the minimalists, but they, mm-hmm. they, they had an, a, a party and they packed everything up. And then they just started taking things out that they needed. And I think after two weeks, they got rid of they everything rid of that everything was everything still else. in the box. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, if you didn't use it after that period of time, it's gone. Yeah. Which makes sense. So I'm about to move now, I have to put everything into a pod again. And that's going to go into a pod for like three months because the house I'm moving into <laughs> won't be ready. Something for yeah. three months. I mean, there's a, what the hell's in the pod? A lot of things yeah. you don't need it. It's, yeah. it's really funny to think about. But uh, sorry about that aside. I just thought about it when you said Yeah, that. no. It's, um, uh, Sebastian is, uh, you know, he is a, the director. He's not just an author. He's the director of Restrepo. He's a, he's a war journalist who has been embedded in extremely dire situations time and time again. So he does have um, a good grasp on war and how it affects you. And, and when he first started talking about war in the book, um, what fascinated me was uh, how people were drawn to war and, and you know, whether it's throughout time or in our modern society where people are looking, you know, sometimes in this modern society, purpose can be, as we've been talking about, hard to come by. And, um, you know, not the, the, the younger uh People could, you know, not out of an interest of violence are they are they going to war, but of a, a longing for the kind of maturity and respect that comes with it. So, um, it is kind of like a coming of age thing, and that made sense to me. I've always wondered why anyone would want to ever, ever be a part of, um, you know, an army or something. But it, there's there is something to it that I wasn't thinking about. I like I've always had a little bit of an attraction to chaos. Okay. Like like I, I so wish that um, I really don't, but I used to wish that I just was programmed to believe like you know and watch the main shows, root for the main local sports teams, and really care, um, and not question so much underlying that comes with age. Exactly. Um, and so, yeah, yeah, it just gets noisier and noisier as you um, wake up. But, but, but it's not really getting any noisier. It's just how you are waking up is make it seeming noisier. So when you, you, so as you wake up, you need to to work on things like staying competent, authentic, and connected, yeah. and, and back to mindfulness. So. He, well, yeah, he discusses. Um you know, when I was talking about joining an army, he discusses uh, um, Israel, where, you know, I think everyone has to join an army. Yep. Um, and so coming back from when you do your, your, your bid, <laughs> that's not the right word, I'm sure, your time with the, with the army, um, uh, coming back in to civilian situ- civilization, um, civilian living, I should say, is so, has, is so much easier for those because... There's a shared experience that people get. There's, we're seeing a lot of, um, he, and he talks about it a lot in the book. You know, it, it goes deep into PTSD, which is which is such an important thing to examine, and and just how people have such a hard time coming back here, and it's because, you know, there's there's people are feeling sorry for them, 
um, you know, they, they, they had a connection to people over there, some, some experience that they're not able to mimic over here, people don't understand over here. And so it was just so fascinating thinking about that with the shared experience that the Israelis, um, you know, they all do it. So they all can kind of, and, they, and they all, he also talks about how the battlefront's right there, they're literally fighting the battles like in their back backyard and so it all makes sense and it's part of the nature of them living that was fascinating yeah i so what what he was saying and i'm just saying it again because i i just read it pretty much yeah, yesterday yeah, it's all, it's all fresh. um but but he was saying that you know in israel when when the when anybody returns from war um it's more uh, they're treated not so differently they're they're immediately reintegrated into the culture and needed Whereas, because it's such a large percentage of the population, um, in the United States, we send a very tiny piece of the population, a small group of young uh, men and women to war. And when we come back, we say we support our troops and we don't have a fucking clue what they were doing. Um, And one example that I thought about was when the first time I finished my full fish tour, my parents get back and said, did you have enough? (laughs) <laughs> how was it? Yeah. How was it? Did yeah, it I have was, enough? Mm-hmm. Oh my God. But that, those questions don't even make sense. Yeah, exactly. It's, I mean, it, that's one thing there's, you, you do, you, you have a tough time coming back yeah. from that to a regular community. So I could understand living it. in a counterculture for over a month and, you know, experiencing different things that people that you would come back to aren't experiencing. It's, it would be hard enough. Like me, it's just uh, like somebody who goes to work every day. My wife stays home and takes care of the kids. But I come home and if I'm, I'm thrown into the kids, it's like, uh, you know, there's like that little adjustment of, you know, 15 minutes of like, all right, I'm going to get a little bit more comfortable yeah, and, let yeah. me go, and then I'll come out and play with you guys. Yeah, definitely. That, that makes sense. Um, on a smaller level. That but if, makes sense, but if I came home from war yep. and then my wife said, all right, here, you're going to watch the kids on Saturday. I have to run out. I, that'd probably be a huge deal to me. Yeah. And I could understand, like, well, you understand how important and communal my life was, and yeah. now I'm a chief of two little kids that don't really care, yeah. you know, about anything other than just playing with me. Um, so, yeah, I could totally get that. No, really and our culture you- doesn't – we don't – when these soldiers come back, we don't give them anything except benefits. Yeah, definitely. So, and that's just giving somebody money. Mm-hmm. Going back to the Fed or money is not a source of any level of happiness just, at all. We're just conditioned to uh- – to treat them differently when they come back. And that is, it's, um, it's, I heard the, um, there's a movie, Thank You for Your Service, that just came out. I heard the director talking. It's, did you watch Curb Your Enthusiasm at all? I had. Yeah, Larry I David, haven't. Larry yeah. David in one recently, he won't thank, um, thank a soldier for his service. So another one, another person does around him. He's like, he's already thanked him for that. But the director of this film was actually saying, in Sebastian Younger, um, uh, kind of reinforces this idea that that, that saying is um, it kind of differ, it pushes them away. This director's like, he, he saw a situation where a soldier came back and someone comes up to him and is like, hey buddy, welcome home. And like really hit him on a human level. And the soldier started crying because he was so used to this robotic, you know, thank you for your service. And it kind of distanced them. And, you know, they just want to be a part of a community. And, you know, this book really opened my eyes to the idea of, you know, I have heard that soldiers wanting to go back and they want to you know they're not fighting for us in a lot of ways they're fighting for that person next to them and I always think about that idea of being in the trenches with someone who who would you want there with you and he does poise, poise the question in the book uh, what would you risk dying for and for whom and so it's it's you know it is about that camaraderie and community and, and as, as hell as war is 
if that's where you can find it, you might might be compelled to want that. It's crazy. Yeah. And when you talk about being in the trenches and PTSD, he one of the things he said, <clears throat> any country, any war, any soldier, the worst experience um, that they could ever have was losing a buddy. Yeah. Yes. And I, and I, and I thought that like, oh man, you'd want to just replace places with that buddy, you know, Absolutely. to come back home and see that buddy's family. I mean, or, or maybe never, but, but just to lose a buddy. Yeah. Um, and when I thought about, you know, whenever I have to make a sacrifice, like drive to New York to do a podcast, not that that's a sacrifice at all, but you're a buddy, you're yeah. way more of a buddy. You're yeah, yeah. a member of my we're of the same tribe yeah, absolutely yes. to cut from the same cloth yes. however you want to put it mm-hmm. um, i very much think of you that way <clears throat> and a lot of our friends um and i think we all know who each other is no but question. um but losing a buddy um i thought that that was pretty amazing yeah um just because yeah the, he did describe it as the like the worst thing that yeah. could happen right there and and, and, and and he even i think he even said worse than something happened to yourself uh, yeah, yeah, he did say that. Yeah. That's right. Uh, it's just, just crazy. It's yeah. crazy. So a lot um, at the to kind of continue with war, but also it just it, to expand it as well. And just and we've touched on this, but it's time to get into it. It's just the the tragedies. And I know you're talking about your 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 parents and a certain certain scope of that, and just how they saw the community. I mean, here in New York, uh, post nine eleven. Um, I've heard people romanticize this time. It's like, oh, people, New Yorkers, they were all great. But rates of violent crime, of suicide, of psych- psychiatric disturbances, all of that plummeted. We were all dealing, you know, whether it's the rich person or just, I mean, we all, everyone had to walk across the bridge to Brooklyn. Or like, it just, it's, or like, they all, everyone had someone that they lost. Everyone, it just equaled things out, the tragedy. And that's just remarkable to think about how, such a horrible moment in time in so many ways it, it, it can show the best of human nature. Yeah, they. I, I remember that. Everybody's like holding doors for each other and yeah. all that. And I, it, I, forget, I think I was listening to Howard Stern a lot at that point in my life, but it was, I forget at some point, it was somebody to, gave I like a to big... I Howard as, as, a, as a fellow, that's how I found out about it. Yeah. Um, Sorry to interrupt you. No, that's fine. Yeah. Um, but it was like a couple weeks after a caller came in or something happened where it was like, ah, fuck you and all that. He was like, yeah, things are starting to get back to normal here. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. it's now we're back to, oh, yeah, 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 you can hold the door yourself and you're cutting each other off yeah, again. Totally. Um, but but I think that that disaster will bring out the empathy um, that you say you always talk about yeah. so much. And one of the things he talked about um, on a level of empathy, I can't even remember where it was in the book, um, but it was a, a boy, a little boy and his teacher or somebody, and he was talking about cutting the legs or ripping the legs off of oh, a spider. Yeah, yeah. And he goes, I'm not worried about the spider. I'm worried about you. I'm worried about you. <laughs> yeah. um, have you ever read um, um, Do Androids Dream of Electric yeah, Sheep? Yeah, of course I have. So, Towards the end of that, um, the the main character, and I forget his name, but he's like running upstairs and he finds a spider. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, But at the end, that's where the androids are ripping the legs off the spider one by one. So you've, you've, and by that you're thinking, this is the most horrible picture the author, Dick. Philip Phil K. Dick, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the, the most, it, it felt terrifying when you were reading the androids ripping the legs yeah. off the spider. You're like, you don't understand that that's the only life. So going to some old oh, wow. teaching in that book, yeah. I just I thought about it because when I, I ran to Android Stream of Electric Sheep with Bish, yeah. um, and so we had talked about that a lot. Um, but the the spider thing, I'm like a spider. That's the thing that like creeps me out. But yeah. I was like, that was when the androids really freaked me out. Yeah. Was when they were going to hurt that spider. Oh, wow, way to tie those two together. Yeah. So yeah, it just kind of yeah. Um, it's crazy to think about. 
uh, just in the scheme of the, the, the bigger picture of these, these tragedies and wars, he talks a lot about the Blitz in London, the bombing, and then also the reverse bombing, what happened in Dresden and such. And um, it, it, it's, it really has me thinking about a lot of uh, bigger things to see what happened in those communities. That, like, same thing, you know, post 9 11 or, you know, what happened in the Blitz is people were banding together. So, what it, what's happening is the effect that the enemy is trying, you know, they're trying to cause um, terror. Terror, pure panic. By making these jobs. And these are terrible situations. The Blitz is terrible. Months of bombing. Just innocent people dying every day. But it didn't cause terror. It didn't cause panic. Well, appropriate levels, of course. But it, 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 it caused people to be, you know, better to their neighbors. It caused them to try to find different ways to contribute. It actually has a, a, the opposite effect than what the enemy actually wants. And that, you know, makes me think about our drone war program and a lot of bigger things with war. But how amazing is that? That's really amazing. Yeah, no, it is. It's, I was not blown away. I was blown away to read it. Not, I'm not blown away in my understanding of it. It makes perfect sense. Yeah, it does. You know, it? It's like, well, well yeah, but Yeah, of course. times are tough. You're going to help the person next to you. Yeah. Like you would, if if you thought of, I wasn't in this city during the blackout, but imagine if everybody lost their electricity. It's like, you know, there's so many different reasons that you'd be getting together if it were over the course of a month. It's Mm -hmm. like, well, we can't freeze our food. We've got limited resources and and all these things that are happening in, you know, British Virgin Islands and all that, but um, less TV, less radio, less phones. And and I think once we lose that electronical connectivity, um, which I think we can't avoid, but um, we, yeah. be- we 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 become more connected physically. Hopefully, we can find a way to use the tools that uh, that are that are coming our way and will be coming our way, technologically speaking, to uh, to use it to further community. Because there is, I mean, we have created this this unique online web, and I, I, I in some ways, I do think you know, as as much as it, it's kind of like new. Connectivity, it is connectivity. It's all the same. And I will always play the antagonist. Yes. <clears throat> in, 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 in that, that yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm then, not on Facebook, but I, I like Instagram. I go fund me these yeah. things and these communities that get together. There's a lot of art I would have never seen. You know, like I, I, I've I, drawn so much from my online experiences. Yeah. My, I, my success, my job is in the cloud. It's, yeah. it's what I do. So. Yeah. Um, I'm not taking anything away from that, but I will always, in most conversations, be the antagonist. Just yeah, to... sure. And I mean, just the things that are more natural just seem more right. But I mean, we, we are going to have to figure it out because, you know, we're not going to go backwards, technologically speaking. And, and, you know, so we have to find a way as things change so rapidly to, to figure it out and maintain community. Um, and I mean, I think, and you know, as we kind of get towards the end of this conversation about the book, but it's, uh, I think, I think this book really taught me to, um, remember that, you know, I think there's so much focus on division right now and specifically in our country and then, but like across all the imaginary lines throughout the world as well. And I just, I think we just need to remember that we're all humans too. And like, yeah. it's, it's just, it's, it's, to be a little bit cooler too. <clears throat> One <Yeah>. thing, 
at the end of the last podcast, you asked me, you were talking about reaching across the aisle. Yeah, and like I, I don't like to say whether I'm conservative or yeah, liberal, no, I, I, and I'm um, to because because I don't want to deal with the freeloader. Yeah, totally. And I, oh, is that the conservative? But I don't care if you're gay. I'm for a lot of research that's yeah. outlawed right now. Yeah. Um. And so either polarity, I, I, you know, I, I don't associate with either yeah, side. I apologize about bringing some of my politics. No, and I just please can't bring it up. Who, there's who I am. Yes. Yeah. There's there's nothing I, I I don't want you to hold back sure, at all. Thank you. Um, but, but, but for just having both sides of that, I, I don't think that I fall into one camp either way. Yeah. The most important thing for great. me is that I think I just need to proactively build my community, yeah. invite people into my house, yeah. drive up here and do another podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and these are things just for anybody that might be thinking of these types of things, it's not an easy thing for, um, me to cut out half my day or or for any person in the world to cut to out half time. the day to Absolutely. do to do anything to make busy. time yeah. to do something for yourself to to take a nap or a long walk or fix the bike that you've never fixed you know whatever yeah. um it's it's difficult to think about making time for yourself it's very easy once you put it into practice yeah. Absolutely. The easiest thing for me was just getting up earlier. And if, if that seems insane to you, it seemed insane to me yeah, forever. Time. Yeah, have you stuck um, with that? You mentioned it last time. Yeah, I, I, at this point, I, like I wish I slept until a little bit later, but I'm like a 435 guy now. Amazing. Yeah. Absolutely amazing. Yeah. So, Well, um, I think, uh, and I think this book has led me this way a little bit, but it, it, you know, and I, I hope this to believe, but I don't think we're as far apart as we often think we are. Oh, he, there's a story um, in Spain where there's almost, almost this bar fight. Oh yeah, over the the horn with hats, and there was these these really intoxicated guys. But um, at the end, he they were able to come together, and 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 he, and he was saying he realized how very close the energy of male conflict and male closeness can be, uh, which is fascinating. But. I, that, that goes back to what I was just saying, how I, I think in so many ways we are not as far apart as we think we are. Um, I think we need to reconvince people that their interests have more in common than they have in conflict. You know, we need to get back to this human level that, they, you know, we're on the same team here. We are. We're yeah. on the same team here. I, I and, think the media, is, not to cut you off, I just want to forget, is, is the media's role in this. And everybody's talking about the media. Yeah. But... I was at a conference last week in San Antonio, and I was out to dinner with people of all ethnicities, and everybody was talking about how much you know they hate politics, mm-hmm. <clears throat> because there was a TV up in the corner of the bar, and it was like CNN or something, yeah. and um, I was at a table, and I was the only white dude Mm -hmm. and you know i said you know what i said if we weren't watching tv or if the political environment wasn't so sensationally pumped out on the news channels i wouldn't know that anything was going wrong i would think that we are integrating and coming closer together Um, i have that that experience here in new york all the time it's a diverse community up here i'm looking around i'm like because i mean you know it's so prevalent here that that i'm not forced to think about the differences i'm just able to like live in a way that we're all like, this is like just like you're saying, like, and just being cool. cool. Like, if you walk on the street, it makes me feel good as a white dude. Not not feel good, yeah. Um, but I engage with everybody the way I always have. Yeah, so just, That's just uh, the way uh, I like am. You're saying the human, wired, yeah, human level. So I mean, it's just we we got to just continue to not buy into this us 
versus them talk. It's real. It's it's it's, and that's you know. We are all I. We are all I. And that what I. Alan Watts had said at the beginning. Yes. You are I. Yes. And I am I. I. Yes. And we are all I. Even cosmically, too. Yeah. All, we are all the universe type stuff, which is awesome so too. I, but I, I can't experience more than I at a time. I at a time. So I, so I'm experiencing me right now, but but yeah, we are all one. There was a real. That's awesome. There was a real. Uh, Telling quote towards towards the end of the novel, he was talking to Rachel Yehuda. Probably mm-hmm. just butchered that. She studies PTSD at Mount Sinai Hospital here in New York. I want to squeeze this quote in. She's like, "If you want to make a society work, then you don't keep underscoring the places where you're different. You underscore your shared human humanity," which makes sense. And and just she was appalled by how many people focus on different differences. And I mean, all in together now, man. It's crazy, um, George. Thank you uh, once again for making the time. Thanks um, for having me. It always talk. goes too fast. Yeah, absolutely. So. Yeah, way too fast. So let's let's just do it again. So we will um, in the spring. Go on, do something early spring. Come that back. would be great. May is you know October. What a beautiful month and a beautiful day out there today it's too. Right, it's, it's absolutely perfect stuff. fall day outside. And, uh, let's well, let's walk into it a little bit. Um, thank you all for uh, for taking this trip with us uh, across and beyond the margin. Across the margin. Across the margin.